0: They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tacovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
1: What's going on, y'all? It's your host, Will, coming back for a new episode of the Hunt Stand Podcast. And specifically, this is the final episode to season two. And before we get started, we just want to wish all of y'all a happy new year and hope that you had a very Merry Christmas and happy holidays with family and friends. On this week's episode, we are going to be getting on Tony Shunin, who is the CEO of the Boone and Crockett Club. Now, when a lot of y'all hear Boone and Crockett, BNC, or you hear Booner, all that stuff, you automatically think score, which that's what the Boone and Crockett Club does, but they do a lot more. And so I'm not going to get into that too much. I'm going to let Tony explain that as we get him on here and talk everything Boone and Crockett Club. And again, he's the CEO. But before we get started, I want to make sure you have the HuntStand app downloaded. We've got the free tier, we've got Pro, and then we've got Pro Whitetail. If you want to unlock all the features of HuntStand, upgrade to Pro Whitetail today. And again, y'all, we just want to thank all y'all for the support over the past two seasons of the Hunt Stand podcast. It's been awesome, and we couldn't be doing this without y'all. So we just want to say thank you. But I'm going to quit talking, and let's get right to it with Tony. <laughs> All right. Well, Tony, welcome to the Hunt Stand podcast.
2: Thanks, Will. Thanks for having me. Appreciate a-
1: it. Absolutely, man. I'm excited to talk Boone and Crockett Club today with you. But before we do, i like for our guests to give the listeners just kind of that, what I call the 30-foot tree stand view. I know obviously you're up in Montana, so uh, you may not get up in a tree too much, but just kind of give us that you know 30,000-foot view of yourself and tell us about yourself.
2: Uh well um uh, I uh, have been in the outdoor space for close to 30 years. I started out uh with a video production company called Storywell Productions. Okay. Um we were one of the first uh production companies on the market with videos way back when videos were the thing and uh I sold that company in uh And I went into the nonprofit sector. I started working with the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation as their VP of marketing and communications. And then I worked as the executive director of Wonders of Wildlife Museum and Aquarium in Springfield, Missouri. And now I've been with the Boone and Crockett Club for about uh, the last uh, 15 years.
1: Awesome! That's awesome. So, man, that's quite the track record. I mean, uh, pretty cool resume that you got there just kind of a wide variety too that's pretty cool
2: yeah it uh yeah I've, I've had a few whistle stops but it's been a mm-hmm. pretty pretty exciting career and it's uh I got started pretty early pretty early on 18 years old Wow
1: so, so uh did you go to college or to to do what you're doing now or what would you get a degree in?
2: So you know, I got a business degree from the University of Montana. Okay, uh, way back when, and um, I was, uh, you know, we. I had a partner originally, two partners actually. That originally started that video production company, and mm-hmm. I was. Uh, I also have a river guide business that my dad started in 1958. So I had that river guide business, and then the video production business that kind of carried me through college, and then that company, uh, the video company, took off. Um, quite, well, like I said, we were only one of four. So yeah. uh, that was when VCRs were really hitting uh, the whole markets and people were buying them and they were buying every kind of tape they could lay their hands on mm-hmm. and watch. And um, so you know, that, uh, that was uh, uh, that was something that, you know, was was a pretty good accomplishment, because we started from nothing. And you know, we did, we did okay.
1: I'd say so, man. Were y'all were y'all focused primarily with you beating Montana on Western big game, or did y'all do a lot of whitetail stuff, fishing? What all did y'all kind of cover?
2: Well, I mean, we covered the gamut. You know, we started yeah. out with elk, you know, that we produced the first ever elk hunting tape, elk hunting in the Rocky Mountain West, and then stuck with uh, Western stuff, Mule Deer, Whitetail, um but then we did start going into waterfowl hunting, mm-hmm. and actually ended up doing some projects overseas with uh, education programming for kids. And um, we did a lot of filming in 1988 when all those fires were going on in, in Yellowstone. And wow. so you know, we kind of ended up branching out in a lot of different directions. But we never, we never lost our roots with the American sportsmen and trying to, and women and trying to provide them with good quality entertainment. Yeah, man.
1: And then from there, you moved from from that to, was it RMEF or was it Springfield was next?
2: Yeah, Rock, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation was okay. here in Missoula. And I, after I sold that company, I went to work for them and was their VP of Marketing Communications, oversaw membership, conventions, marketing, uh, corporate sponsorships, um, merchandise procurement for the bank of program. Um, it was a fairly large portfolio at Rocky Mountain Elk.
1: And now you're with Boone and Crockett
2: yeah yeah and that's been a really exciting organization i you know it's an old organization um we we were founded in uh 1887 by Theodore Roosevelt and George Bird Grinnell and um several other folks that were sportsmen mm-hmm. and uh and the and the, and the beginning is is kind of interesting because um Theodore Roosevelt lost his wife and his mom On the same day in 1883, and so he went out west. He had two uh, ranches uh, in uh, in and around Medora, North Dakota. Okay, and he was pretty uh, pretty busted up emotionally. And but when he was out there, he rode around and he was looking actually to shoot a buffalo, and he couldn't find one. But he rode around um, the uh, you know Montana, Idaho, uh, Wyoming, the Dakotas, and he saw a lot of things that didn't make him happy. You know. Mm basically decimation of our wildlife species, uh, pillaging of our natural resources. And so when he came back to New York City in 1887, he called a dinner uh, that first weekend of 1887, in December of 1887, and got all these people at the table that were influential um, in the world of science and education and politics and industry. And But the one thing that joined all of them together, the common thread there was uh, was they were all sportsmen and their first step was to try to preserve the memory of big game right and so they started the national collection of heads and horns uh which is now resides at the wonders of wildlife museum and aquarium in springfield missouri and um, the goal there was to try to get one of every species of big game animals on earth that um you know, that they could put into an exhibit so that people could always remember what they looked like after Mm -hmm. they went extinct. Well, somewhere along there, the plan changed and they said, well, rather than trying to remember these species, why don't we try to conserve them? And so, you know, their first huge push was the Yellowstone Park Preservation Act in 1892. And um, that expanded the park's borders. It uh, solidified um, and, and got rid of everybody who was in the park doing things like harvesting timber, killing animals, things that they weren't supposed to do. And um and then in, when he got to be president, that's when the club and uh, the conservation movement really kind of picked up momentum. They um you know, they established the what's now the forest system, US forest system, they established the national park system, the national wild refuge system. Um they uh, got uh, management of game in in the states the established state game laws and um you know and these were all these were all efforts that were driven by the members of Boone and Crockett mm-hmm. you know we were the earliest conservation group out there at the time so um and if you fast forward you know in in like the 1930s uh Everybody was scratching their heads saying, well, did all this conservation work and all this land that we preserved in the public interest, public trust, did it, it, you know, is it working? And that's when we started our records program. And so the science behind that is we try to, um, you know, they, they feel that they felt at the time that if you harvest a mature male specimen, in an ecosystem, well, is that that that's an indicator that that ecosystem is healthy. And that's been the premise mm-hmm. of our record system ever since. You know, yeah. we still tabulate data from all of the North American continent. Um, we probably process forty five hundred entries a year. Wow. Uh, we we maintain that database. Uh, wildlife managers use that database. Uh, college students use that database. Um, in fact, ag- ap- academics in general use that database a lot to compare one ecosystem to another to see. Okay, you know. I've got a great population of white-tailed deer and the bucks are, are 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 not what I think they should be. You know, what am I doing wrong? And so they'll look at another ecosystem that's kind of comparable that has, you know, larger animals and obviously healthier ones. And then they'll compare the notes with those wildlife managers and say, you know, okay, here's what I need to change in my wildlife management practices. So, um, so the records program was, Pretty integral as a measurement tool mm-hmm. to uh to our uh, to our organization, and uh, even though when you say Boone and Crockett, everybody thinks of heads and horns, right? Bibles. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you know they uh, that's really in essence only about ten percent of our budget, and most of our efforts are spent on the conservation policy side in Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. Uh, in our education programs, both at our Theodore Roosevelt Memorial Ranch, and um, also we have endowed chairs at several land-grant universities that are that are teaching students about not only science and biology, but uh, policy and the cultures that they're going to work in. So, um, you know, that's a pretty important piece of our of what we do. And then, you know, Fair chase, uh fair chase hunting has been a cornerstone of our organization since day yep. one. Yep. And um so hunting ethics and education is a is another major emphasis for uh for our organization. And uh but you know, when you look at like our policy efforts, um, you know, we we are kind of looked to as a think tank. Uh, group because we're not structured like other nonprofits. I mean, when Roosevelt founded the club, he we have 100 regular members, and they're the, basically the ones that, that govern the club. Okay. and um, and then we have about 150 professional members, and a lot of those professional members are agency heads, members of Congress, um, state wildlife officials, uh, academics. Um, and but those bring and, and plus there's a lot of exec, uh, executive directors and CEOs of other uh, nonprofit organizations our partners that are in that group. But we're we do have a grassroots base called our associate membership program where folks can just join us for 35 bucks a year and okay. get our magazine and um, things that uh, that that hunters like to get. So you know that uh, we have that opportunity. But yeah. um, again, the hun- as I mentioned earlier, those that, that initial hundred was people that were picked because of their influence in the, the outdoor space mm-hmm. and, you know, their knowledge of uh, politics and industry and education. And um, that's the way we started. That's the way we are today. And uh, we work very hard um, to get legislation passed in Congress that will benefit conservation, yep. that will provide funding for conservation that will encourage public access, that will um, make sure that, uh, you know, our, our wildlife management practices are in, you know, are in are in sync with the, what the states are mm-hmm. doing. Right. And so, right. Um, a lot of it's uh, it's, there's a lot of work there. Uh, and, uh, but we're, again, we, with the brain trust that we've got, we look at a problem, we formulate a solution and then we partner with our, partner organizations to help push those things, you know, that solution through Congress mm-hmm. in the form of legislation.
1: Man, this, is this is a big part. Uh, I'm go, I'm going off my own little uh, set that I have here, of things I want to ask you, but this is a, I feel like a big part coming back to that membership thing. You know, I'm, I'm 31 years old, you know, I, in terms of being in the outdoor space, I'm pretty, pretty young at it, but I've been hunting my whole life. And, the thing that I've noticed as I've gotten older, um, you know, especially I've done a lot of reading up on Theodore Roosevelt probably the past two years, uh, just different readings, books, learning about land conservation that growing up as a kid, all I wanted to do was kill big bucks, never thought about how we can serve them. Uh, you know, then as I get older, start getting into Western hunting, looking at a big game further out west and now as I get older and I think it's important that stuff organizations like Boone and Crockett exist because now I'm like man thinking about all these bad people out there that want to take away what we enjoy too and what y'all do to conserve that I mean these are th- this is something that as I get older I becomes more and more important to me than it did 60 days ago or 90 days ago or even just a year ago, you know. So I think what y'all do is awesome. And what I want to kind of get into next is um talk to us about, you know, you, you've you've highlighted a lot of what y'all do, but talk to us about like what the main mission of Boone and Crockett Club. What is the main mission?
2: Well, you know, the mission itself is fairly broad. Um, mm-hmm. you know, our we promote the conservation management of wildlife uh especially big game species right um and we uh uh, and it's and also the habitat and to preserve and encourage hunting and to maintain the highest ethical standards of fair chase and sportsmanship in north america that is our mission right but there's a lot of uh and it's broad like i said it's broad and all-encompassing but there's a lot of subsets of that right so the three stools of our mission are 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 policy research and education and so um you know we do a lot of again research for identifying solutions to issues that face our outdoor community our wildlife and wild places trying to come up with things that um ways to fix those Mm -hmm. and uh it's so you know when you talk about big game um and you talk talking about let's you know mule deer or elk or sheep, right? You know, and they have migration corridors that um, that these animals travel through. So when you're when you work on on big game species, it impacts non game species and birds as well and right. wetlands, and because it's all habitat that big game species need to survive. And if that habitat's healthy, it's going to benefit a whole lot of other species too, right. as well as things like you know modern day. Uh, issues like climate change, right? Mm-hmm. So if you look at uh carbon sequestration, for example, um, you know, a healthy forest, one that's well managed, a healthy healthy grassland, one that's well managed, is going to benefit and sequester carbon and benefit climate change. It will mm-hmm. reduce the amount of catastrophic wildfires, which actually put a ton of carbon into the atmosphere. Um, and at the same time, while well, you're looking at solving that piece of the puzzle, you're also making sure that the habitat's healthy for pe- the species that live there. Right.
1: You know, and it's the, the thing is I, I've talked with uh, some gentlemen from the national wild Turkey Federation and mm-hmm. kind of covering what you talked about, you know, the things that y'all do habitat wise. Sure let's let's uh let's talk elk for example sure you're doing things to benefit elk but at the same time you're benefiting everything else that's within that habitat and it's like what the nwtf does they do things to obviously promote more turkey numbers um that's something that's kind of been suffering lately and so they do things to help that but at the same time they're also helping out many other species as well so it's not just benefiting one species per se but it's everything that we enjoy right
2: Right. No, um, NASA, well, Turkey Federation, awesome folks. Um, yeah. you know, they work very closely with our group as well as another, as a few other groups on, um, on these forest health issues I talked about, Right, I and mean, that's very near and dear to their mission. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, we've worked closely with them. As a matter of fact, what a lot of folks don't realize out there that, you know, are in the field every day hunting and, uh, is that, you know, the American sportsman today is probably better organized than we've ever been. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we formed a coalition actually right in our headquarters building here in Missoula, Montana, back in 2000, called the American Wildlife Conservation Partners. And, you know, originally, and they were groups like the Wild Turkey Federation, Rocky Mountain Health Foundation. I mean, there were 17 um, conservation, sportsman's-based conservation groups that gathered at that first summit. And... Um, and we built that coalition ever since for the last twenty years. And today, you know, we rep, you know that coalition consists of fifty six groups that represent uh, fifteen million hunters and shooters wow. across this country. And so, you know, when we we all come together, as a matter of fact, we're we're working on it right now. We come together on a document every time we have a general election. It's called Wildlife for the Twenty First Century, mm-hmm. and. Uh, These 56 groups collectively agree on what is the most important recommendations that we can give to a new administration or an administration that stays in office. What is the most important things to conservation and shooting sports, hunting, that we can give them as a guide from our community, uh, you know, so we can focus their efforts. And so we come together, we produce this document, we generally get into the hands of um, candidates from both parties. Uh, generally in August of the election year. So that will be August of 2024. We'll have a document ready to go. And those recommendations cover everything from, you know, habitat health, wildlife health, public access, um, the whole gamut of what's important to our uh, hunting and shooting sports um, community. And, um, you know, more shooting ranges, more opportunities for our kids to get out there and be at those shooting ranges. Um, you know, these are all recommendations. And there's generally about 10 to 12, we try to keep it as simple as possible. So um, because he's got a whole lot of other things to worry about, right? Mm -hmm. Whoever gets into those offices, you know, they got education stuff to worry about, and economy stuff to worry about and Mm -hmm. stock market stuff. So, you know, from our community, even though we kind of represent the folks who are doing what we can to conserve our natural resources, which is one of the greatest national treasures that we have in this nation, um our voices is not the is is we still have a a voice and and it's important that 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 i think our our hunters and anglers out there know that and um and also our shooting sports folks that you know they we've got we've got organization we got organization at the top levels of the of all these different groups that are pushing for a common thing that will benefit our community
1: absolutely i mean y'all y'all are essentially the the megaphone for men and women and kids like myself.
2: Right. That's right. A, that's exactly yeah, we, what y'all do. And, it, and it's worked. I mean, I'll be honest, you know, we, uh, you know, we, we've come together on a number of issues that have popped up, you know, in the last two to four years that, um, you know, we literally changed the direction of that dialogue because of who we were, what we knew and how many people we represented. And again, when I say we, I'm talking this AWCP coalition that mm-hmm. is, you know, millions of hunters and shooters.
1: That's the thing. Yeah. It's not just, not just a small section of us. It's, it's all of us. So that's, right. uh, for, I get, I just have to say thank you for helping, uh, protect that, you know, essentially so we can enjoy and go and get, a uh, get some elk like that that are behind me. So, uh, what I want to go into next, you know, since, 1887 uh maybe we can talk more of a modern scope per se rather than maybe early 19s or mid 1900s but what would you say are some of the key achievements that Boone and Crockett Club has uh, done since since that time maybe more modern just for the sake of this conversation
2: well you know we have been involved with a number of acts that have been passed um you know, recently, you know, and again, when I say we, you know, Boone and Crockett, this, this unit that we have in this in our community with all these other groups is really what moves the needle for conservation. Right. If you didn't have these other groups coming together with a singular voice, you know, we wouldn't be as successful. But we, we had a huge voice in the Great American Outdoors Act that passed in 2020 that put a lot of money into mm-hmm. conservation, authorized and um, funded. The land and water conservation fund um and you know we had the inflation reduction act which put more money out there and yeah. into the uh into our federal agencies like usda and department of interior you know to try to get money out there on the ground doing good and worthwhile conservation work uh, the bipartisan infrastructure act was another um that another item that uh or another act that was passed with a community a lot of community effort that again generating more more funding um, and so you know those are you know um uh, uh those are three that uh that we have done just in the last three or four years and um the American enhancement Act is another one uh we've got we had a bill that passed that that provided uh states with uh, money to build more shooting ranges um so you know these are all things that help perpetuate uh our hunting heritage, our mm-hmm. outdoor uh heritage, um and what hunters do for land and wildlife, you know, not only does it benefit you know species besides big game, but it also benefits people. You know, we you know we have um you know the land that we help preserve and the habitat that we and the in the and the uh, wildlife that we help protect um is enjoyed by the general public. Absolutely. So it goes way beyond hunting and yes. way beyond shooting it. You know, we, we're literally trying to keep that pathway open going into the future for the next generation.
1: You have got to, and that, I think that's an important thing. A uh, big thing, you know, like I told you, you know, just within the past few years of my life, just uh, reading up and understanding more of how we have these lands and everything, it's huge. And I think that's important for, um, essentially fostering that growth of, you know, not even just the hunting community. Like there's other types of sports and recreation that enjoy all the different lands and resources that are available. And that's where I kind of want to, um, go into, you, you spoke on it earlier is the fair chase. Talk to us about that and what exactly
2: that is. So fair chase, uh, Fair chase is all about wild and free-ranging animals mm. whether they're migratory animals um but you know these animals have got to be um you know they have to be able to move around you know from ecosystem to ecosystem right and uh fair chase is is a code that uh the club adopted and several other organizations have now adopted it too but to try to talk to the hunting community about Ethics, you know yeah. what? You know we we're not going to write a bunch of rules and say you know you're not bear chase hunter unless you follow all these rules. That's no. not what you want to do. Is have people think about before they take that shot, pull that trigger? Are they really doing the right thing? You know, is that animal too far away? Right. Is that animal? You know, is does that animal have the capability of of, of escaping? Um, you know. Just stop and think, because when get when you get down to the bottom line, um, you know, are the, the percentage of hunters is dwindling as a part of the whole population. Yeah, and it's incumbent upon us to make sure that there is a percentage of that population, and today it's seventy seven percent that support hunting. Uh, they may not hunt, but they support hunting, mm-hmm. and in order to maintain our hunting heritage, we, we've got to make sure that we keep. Our public perception, um, you know, front and center that we, yes, we are ethical honors. And fair chase is a huge component of that. So, my advice, my encouragement to folks that are listening to your podcast, Will, is to, you know, when you're out in the field, think about these things. Say, okay, would this, is this something that I'm going to put on Facebook? You know, yeah. or, you know, is this something that I think, no, maybe I don't want to take this shot. Maybe the wind's blowing too hard. Maybe I have a little bit of a, I'm just not sure about, it. you know, think mm-hmm. about things like that because you're representing even on a singular level, uh, everybody who's out there is representing the public perception of what hunters are. Absolutely. Yeah. So so that ethical action is pretty important.
1: That's a, that's a big thing. Uh, because I feel like there's a, there is a small section of, the hunting group that they choose to make bad decisions. And unfortunately I feel like those are the things that capture most of the spotlight. And that's what gives hunters a bad name for people that are unfamiliar with it. Wouldn't you say?
2: Right. No, I mean, poaching is a good example. Yes. You know, um, so, you know, hunting's legal, poaching's not, Mm -hmm. you know, it's that, you know, it's that simple when people choose to poach then. um, you know they're breaking the law. They're stealing from the public trust. Um, you know that is not good for our image. And mm-hmm. um, you know I think we're we're on a major po- uh, anti-poaching campaign right now called Poaching Pay. And the the thrust of that campaign is basically to identify, you know, what states have adequate restitution for taking from the public trust uh, and, and 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 fines, and then also where does that money go. You know, I mean, in some states, it might go to the general fund. In some states, it goes where it should go, which is back to the Wildlife Management Agency to uh, manage wildlife. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we're trying to, um, first of all, do research on what states are doing now. And then we're going to develop legislative language that they can then introduce into their state houses to ensure that uh, those restitution and fine levels are where they're supposed to be and that money's going where it's supposed to go. And then the third component of that is... uh, is the judicial system because often poaching is looked at as a victimless crime you know and yeah. but it's not you know exactly it's, it's, when you look at what the taking of an animal from the public trust could potentially cost the public in you know at large um it's a significant number and uh so it's not a victimless crime so i think mm-hmm. educating our judges and uh and folks in the judicial system about that is 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 important as well. And, um, you know, we've been working on that now for three or four years and we're making progress. And, um, Mm -hmm. a lot of States have, have turned around and said, Hey, you know, we gotta, you know, we gotta change some things that we're doing here. Um, so we can get, you know, more law enforcement on the ground more uh, you know, more conviction, you know, raise our conviction rates. Mm -hmm. And, um, and again, that's all the kind of, it all goes back to protecting that image of hunters. I mean, if we portray ourselves as, you know, we're serious about this, we're good hunters, we're responsible hunters, but we're also going to police our own ranks for those of us who choose to go down the wrong path. Right. I think that sends a really good message to the American public at large.
1: Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, that's, that's a big thing because I've, I've just, I've seen it too many times that, You know, you you spoke on it a little bit ago, you know, talking about whether or not you should take an ethical shot with, uh, depending on what the wind's doing, if you're taking a long-range shot. You know, there's all these different things and uh, situational things that happen that I think a lot of times, again, just kind of coming back to it, it's people make decisions that they probably shouldn't have made that shot or they shouldn't have shot that animal with a certain weapon or whatnot that uh, sometimes it just sheds that negative light. And I'm glad to hear that y'all are doing things to help, you know, especially when it comes to poaching, govern those things. Cause nothing makes me more mad. I mean, we, uh, <laughs> excuse me. Um, my wife's family's got a piece of property. That's borders a highway and nothing makes me more mad. Luckily we haven't run across this issue, but I've had friends that have similar situations. Then somebody pulls up side of the road they shine a light up in that field and they illegally take an animal in the middle of the night off their field. And sometimes that's a really big buck that somebody has been trying to get. So I'm glad that y'all are doing things to essentially help mitigate a problem like that.
2: Well, you touched on something there. they will just, I'm not going to run down a rabbit hole on this, but it's, it's kind of interesting <laughs> with, with some of the research that we've done because um, you know, right now we're working on a piece of research that is actually interviewing people who have con- been convicted of poaching mm-hmm. to try to identify what the motivation was for them. I mean, if it was sustenance, you know, you know, I out of a job and eat meat in the freezer, that's one thing, right. right? But if they're going out there, you know, and they see a big buck and they're and they shoot that big animal and they take the head, throw it in the trunk, and away they go because they're going to sell the antlers. That's a whole crime of different yeah. nature and you've got both out there, right? So, mm-hmm. and I think, you know, again, going back to the, to what we're trying to do is, it, you know, it's going to establish a baseline for this, for the folks that are just, you know, doing it for sustenance, but then, you know, if you're poaching trophies and selling the antlers, that's going to be a significantly higher criminal offense and, yeah. um, So, you know, we are taking a lot into consideration when we're looking at this whole issue of poaching because people, you know, people are motivated differently for different ways that they poach. And um, so, you know, we're trying to get a handle on that and um, as well as part of our, uh, as part of the data that we'll share with the state houses when the time comes and uh, with the governor's offices and um and so it's, uh, but there is a there is a distinct difference between the trophy piece and the sustenance piece.
1: Yeah, th- those are, I don't I don't know if polar opposites is the right word, but uh, yeah, I mean those are two completely different situations. And so yeah, there's, you know, <laughs> it it almost kind of makes me want to go down the same rabbit hole with uh, a lot of <laughs> CWD regulations that are going out now, right? Uh, there's a lot of people that are very aware of different states, CWD regulations. And then there's some people that they had no idea, um, you know, that people are getting in big time trouble with some of these different things that, yeah, just, it all comes down to uh, different cases, I guess you could say, situ- different situations, just what it is.
2: So, you know, and on, on CWD, that is, you know, wildlife health is one of our priorities mm-hmm. with going to Crockett as along with other. Organization as well, but you know that's that's a concerning one because it's continuing to spread. Yes, and um, up until recently, the states were basically funding CWD management on their own, and we passed uh, the Chronic Waste Disease Research and Management Act Mm -hmm. Um, last year. It was funded to the tune of about fifteen million to try to go back to the states uh, and help them out. So. The states that are that have CWD present are there's about thirty of them, yeah. thirty five, and they're spending an average of about two million dollars per state to manage CWD. So what our goal is is to generate seventy million dollars to match the two million that they're already putting in, and um, and we're we're making some progress there. You know we're going to go from fifteen million this year to we have a house bill. Has 18 million in it, and a Senate bill it has 15 million in it. So we're going to we're basically going to double where we're at this year, and we'll co- continue to push to double that money next year. And I think that uh, you know this is a disease that is don't no, there's no cure for it, there's no life test for it, mm-hmm. and so it's it's a serious situation. It's a prion uh, that can live in the um, dirt or grass for five years. Yeah, and it takes. Tremendous amount of heat to kill a thing. And so and what's interesting is you can have one animal transmit that prion to another animal and it may not manifest itself for years. It could live in that animal for, you know, three, four or five years before it all of a sudden decided it's going to manifest itself and take that animal's life. Right. Um, I just saw in the news this morning that they found the first confirmed uh, CWD animal that died in Yellowstone National Park. Really, to bring so you know, we're not. We have got to stay ahead of this problem, and the only way to do it is is get more money to what get to our state agencies uh, to uh, to enable them to 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 manage it and uh, manage the spread. So, um, you know, there is work going on there that uh, that you know we're. Moving along, it's not quite as quick as we would like to see it move along, but um, but it's important work, and I and we're also pumping money into um, the research mm-hmm. on CWD for a live test. Um, that's going to be uh, a big number, a really big number, yeah. you know, because I imagine so. It, you know the the CWD scare is actually causing well you know, I told you I'm going to go into the elk woods this weekend, right? Yeah. So I'm going smack dab into the hot zone, you know, uh, for CWD, mm-hmm. uh, in Southwest Montana. Um, there's not been a confirmed elk that has, you know, that has been tested positive for CWD, but there's been a number of whitetail and mule deer in that area that have tested positive Oof. for CWD. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and the, you know when you test you know you basically have to store your animal in a in a in a cooler until you get the test back before you can really cut it up and put it in your freezer yeah so yeah it's, it, it it would be a lot nicer if we could just <laughs> figure out a way to make CWD go away, you know, but that's going mean, to take some resources.
1: Yeah. Re- resources. And like you said, uh, trying to give the States more power to properly management from a financial perspective and then, uh, being able to educate their general public on it. Uh, cause it's, it's, it's been around for a while, but it's, uh, I feel like it's a, a fairly new concept to a lot of hunters that maybe haven't dealt with it yet. So I think, I think it's important to educate people on it
2: and just you know just for your listeners benefit if they're interested they can go to the chronic wasting disease um alliance mm-hmm. website and CWU alliance uh, and it and it has all the information on a state by state basis about regulations and, and and things like that that um that's that would be in, it, helpful for hunters to know especially if they're shooting an animal in one state that's cwd positive and transport it to a state that's not
1: exactly CWD positive yes you know
2: and so th- th- those rules and regulations are basically consolidated in one spot that's easy access for folks to look at and and know what they should and shouldn't be doing
1: thousand percent because you don't want to don't ever want to find yourself in a sticky situation so other than uh cwd and and things with poaching what are some other uh partnerships initiatives or any kind of projects that y'all are working on that are kind of in that same realm of uh more in the interest of the hunter
2: um so i mentioned one of our priorities was forest health Mm -hmm. and habitat health um we are really working hard to uh reverse a ninth circuit court decision called the cottonwood decision that was made by the ninth circuit court in 2015 and um, at the time, Obama's uh, President Obama's Department of Justice asked the Supreme Court to review that ruling. But what that ruling did was, if you have a uh, a project on a national forest, and you may have 150 projects on this national forest, but if you have a project that's, that's contested on that, and um, in, in that national forest, that means it shuts down all 149 other projects and you have to go back to the drawing board and it's a really we're trying to reverse that decision because what what will happen if we can do that is we'll be able to get you know every national forest in the ninth district to start being able to be you know active forest management prescribe burns thinning and what that what happens when you're able to do that then that opens up the area for um so, surreal vegetation to start growing, and that's mm-hmm. what benefits elk, deer, and so you'll know, provide more habitat for elk and deer, more hunting opportunity for those animals. And so, while it sounds like more of a scientific forest issue, it's really it boils right down to um, you know improving habitat for big game and being able to manage our forests in the western states like we should be, like we are supposed to. On the flip side of that, a well managed forest, as I mentioned before will sequester carbon so there's an impact to climate. Uh forest, well managed forest will make sure that we'll will cut way back on catastrophic wildfires, yep. which would, you know, destroys public property, private property. Um, you know, we've seen what's happened in states like Colorado, um, and California. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, those well-managed a well-managed forest can really bring a lot of benefit to the public. Um, we're applying that same Concept to grasslands, you know, and healthy grasslands. You know, now you've got uh not only big game, but birds, you know, mm-hmm. that benefit from grasslands, healthy grasslands. And again, healthy grasslands sequester carbon and provide habitat for wildlife to live, for people to enjoy. So um, you know, there's and there's a and I, I'm mentioning those two issues, Will, because there's a lot of different pieces of legislation that impact. Those two issues, you know, right. we've got uh, pieces of the farm bill that are going to be addressing that. We have standalone legislation that addresses those issues. Um, we have companion bills, mm-hmm. and so, you know, when you look at how you get something done in Congress, it's great to try to do more than just one approach because right. a lot of times, you know, if you have something that dies on the floor over here, or dies in committee over here it's still a part of something else that might make it to that committee yeah. and so it's um you know it's it's a multi faceted approach so those are two issues rangeland health forest mm-hmm. health that, uh, that are direct benefit to hunters and um and anybody who enjoys the great outdoors um you know they uh you know we have a number of people that um are interested in things like um the endangered species act Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we do, you know, we're in Montana, you know, Wyoming, Idaho, you know, we're we are the epicenter of wolves and um and wolf management. You know, we're you know, we've got two populations of grizzly bears, one in Yellowstone, one in the Northern Continental Divide, and you know, they're running all over the place. And yeah. you know, we you know, it's important that the states uh not only have the ability to manage these species, but take management of those species. You know, and do it responsibly. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, so endangered species is is high on our list. Not only because, the, here's the thing: if you look at legislation like Recovering America's Wildlife Act, um, it's important that that money is intended to keep species off the list. And there's a lot of issues that can bind up hunting opportunities if you have an endangered species and they close down the area. So, um, you know, getting money to states to keep species off the list is as is, is important to as, as getting, is getting taking species that are on the list and providing an extra strategy for them to be off the list, if that makes any sense.
1: No, it does. It does. Uh, yeah, speaking on that wolf and grizzly thing, I know that's, that's a hot button thing right now out west, big time, big time. Um, Well, man, I I know we're getting short on time here. And so for some of the listeners out there that they've been listening to what we've been saying and they may be empowered to want to help out, what can those folks do or where can they go to get involved, become a, I think you said, associate member of the Boone and Crockett Club? How can they do all that?
2: Well, I'll tell you this, Will, I mean – We'd love to have them be a join the Boone and Crockett family, right? Mm-hmm. You know, if they want to join, they can go to our website. They can read about everything that we do. Um, they can look at all of our position statements that impact hunting and shooting sports. Um, you know, for $35 a year, they can join our group. And if if what they see there doesn't really, you know, move them, then you know, find a group out there that does. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, if you like Yelp, join Rocket Mountain Foundation. Yeah. If you like Ducks, join Ducks Unlimited. If you like, because i tell you what, that participation with the, any of those NGOs is going to help the overall conservation movement. In addition to buying hunting licenses and paying excise and, and our manufacturers to pay excise taxes yeah. on firearms and ammunition, you know, it uh, every little bit helps, and every little and every and, and um, everybody that gets engaged is going to be helpful. So um, we hope you want to engage with us or maybe us and several of these other groups of, that may interest um, you. But I think um, just getting involved is really important. And uh, and that's a great way to do it.
1: Big time because uh, I think everything that we've talked about today has been really big and helped uh, bring some enlightenment to what Boone and Crockett Club is because uh, a lot of people just think that y'all are just a... Score an antlers group, they do,
2: and we score a lot of them. <laughs>
1: okay. Y'all do, but there's there's a lot more to it than uh, just numbers that get put up by antlers. There's there's a lot of conservation work. So uh, I
2: you, you, you kind of got to do the conservation work to get those antlers out on the ground. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Get get some get some like this that are behind me, so people can get more of those. So yeah, they may not be record book animals, but they are they are. Here in my house for me, so
2: everyone's got a memory well, right? Yes, exactly. Sometimes you go out and you don't get anything, you know, but that's still a memory. You know, it's all about being out, being out there, and enjoying friends and family. And um, you know, if you really, if you harvest an animal, regardless of what the size is, that's Mm -hmm. just an added plus.
1: Yeah, that's that's just the icing on the cake. I've been saying that since I began my elk hunting journey back in 2019. Was hey, we're out here to enjoy. What is here? If we see animals, that's great. Putting one in the freezer, that's even better. And of course, a set of awesome antlers. That's that's the icing on the cake. So well, Tony, I really appreciate your time today and just helping to talk about Boone and Crockett Club, conservation work, things that y'all are doing with government agencies and and everything else that y'all do. So I just appreciate your time today.
2: Thanks, Will. I appreciate you having me and um anything I can do to help you guys out out there in the field just uh give us a holler that
1: sounds good heck maybe we'll share some time in the oakwoods sometime
2: there you go i wouldn't i would like that for sure
1: same here all right y'all there you go hopefully after hearing this podcast you've learned a little bit more about the Boone and crockett club and maybe not just going to associate scoring your deer from now on or scoring those booner bucks and all that good stuff which is fun but again, y'all, if you're interested in becoming a member of the Boone and Crockett Club, I will have that down in the podcast notes below. And again, y'all, we just want to thank y'all for tuning in to this week's episode of Hunt Stand Podcast, wrapping up Season 2. And the next time you hear from me, we'll be getting into Season 3. Thanks again, y'all, and we'll see you on the next one.